And we're on. This is Kevin Evans with the Chapter by Chapter Life class at Crossroads Assembly of God Church in Greenville. And we are, uh, this is uh, August the 21st, and we are about to start Luke 22. And as we've covered in the past, Luke is divided into three major sections. Uh, in the first section, Luke kind of sets up uh, Christ and John the Baptist and explains their background and why they're important and the beginnings of his ministry as he calls his disciples. And then there's this middle section where he uh, records all of Christ's teachings and uh, specific miracles and he kind of puts things together just to make because they were important but not necessarily in a chronological order. And so uh, the chronological order doesn't necessarily match the other uh, gospels, but that's where he put the story. And then he ends his book with the passion play, the last week of Christ's life, because the events in those uh, chapters are significant and symbolic. And we have just at this point reached that section. So no more big, long, complicated teachings of Christ that we have to figure out, uh, stuff happens. However, the stuff is highly significant and highly symbolic and deeply rooted in the Old Testament. And if you think it's going to go any faster now that we're off the teachings, I don't know that it's going to because it's loaded. And uh, I started into this chapter, and after the first hour, I realized it was going to be at least three weeks before we get through chapter two. Uh, there is a lot here, which means that my notes are kind of a mess for those of you that you know really enjoy a nice, clean sheet book. We're in chapter 22 of Luke. After, 22, after just class, like it says at the top of that piece of paper right after there. After you're done and after the mic is off. Uh-huh. Last week, I did hear an interesting theory about Israel, about what we discussed last week, that I might go on. It's just a theory, but I heard another minister on TV say. Oh, you don't want to share that for posterity? No, no, no. Let's see. Okay. some questions about what we discussed. I'll, I'll explain. Oh, all right. All right. I've forgotten what we were arguing about last week. It wasn't week. an argument. It was, oh. it was a question. We had questions if it didn't make sense, but okay. I'm not ready to say I agree with this, but it does. It's an interesting Okay, so uh, let's jump in. We're in chapter 22 once again, and uh, I'm just going to jump two whole verses in. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, called the Passover, was approaching, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. What's the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Matthew. Wait, did you call me Oh, wait, no, I did call you Matthew. I'm sorry. Oh, Andrew. I was about to say it. A a Andrew, uh, what, 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 what? What's the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Isn't it part of the Passover? Yes. Where you eat unleavened bread? Spread without leaven. Spread without yeast. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah, because, uh, okay, the, 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 uh, the Jews were all in uh, Egypt, and um, they... Uh, they uh, uh, were in a hurry. They were in a hurry, and they had to leave quickly. And so they cooked with they, they made crackers instead of bread. Yeah. And because it's faster, mm -hmm. 
And in order to avoid the angel of death, they took a, a lamb and they posted the, the blood across the, 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 the mantle of their door and uh, the angel passed over them. So they're celebrating this. That's what Passover is. And so they repeat this and they take a lamb that is of a particularly untouched, unblemished lamb uh, as a sacrifice and they put the, 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 the blood over the door and then they eat the lamb as part of the feast. And the feast is a lot more complicated than that and there's symbolism throughout it and it would take two hours to go through just the symbolism of the Passover. But it's all about sacrifice and protection and redemption. And so I think it's interesting that the sacrificial lamb that they're offering to God with the blood over the mantelpiece, they eat. They don't burn it. They eat it. Unlike some of the other, the other celebrations they have, they have to actually burn them. Yes. Burn them. And so and I think, and as I was studying this, I think it's kind of significant that they, they eat the lamb because when you see Christ at the Last Supper, he's, he's basically, they're about to eat this lamb that is a sacrifice symbolically, and then he gives them bread and says, this is my body because he's the lamb. Well, it's all, everything they did, every, every celebration, everything was, was kind of a foretelling. Mm-hmm. It's a picture and a, and a symbol yeah. of what he's going through. And this is the fulfillment of all of that ritual. It's like when they made God mad and he sent the poison snakes. <coughs> Moses had to make the snake and put it on a pole and raise it up. It was a symbol of how Jesus was going to be raised yes. up. Yes, and that's throughout the Old Testament. Yeah. And so my point at stopping at two verses in is that this particular sequence of events can't happen at any other time. It is very specifically on the Passover, and it's important that this happen on the Passover. Christ is, dies on the Passover as the sacrifice. Now, I have a question for you. Hit me. Did, did they still ce celebrate these? Do some of the Jews still celebrate these feasts? Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. All of yes. these. Every year? Mm -hmm. Every year. Every year. In fact, we've done it here before. Uh -huh. Did you come to the, the Passover? We did the Passover. We had a Messianic. Jewish couple do the whole presentation yeah. on the Passover. It, it was fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Did. Did we try that? You did a Seder or what? Yes. No? no, very good. And it went through every step and every herb the and what it means and the significance of it. And it, it, every step is a symbol of Christ. It's, you just, know, like, it goes, it's just like if a brother, I don't really understand it, but I did see the ceremony. The ceremony. If, a, if a brother refuses to marry, dies, and brother refuses to marry the wife, they have to have this ceremony, and they have to stomp this glass that's inside of a rag and shatter it, as to say it, it's kind of like that, that signs the deal that you refuse to do this or something. I, I don't think they follow that as much anymore. No, but I the think Passover, they can, I mean, you're not considered a good Jew unless you have, that's one of the main ones. They yeah. Right. Yeah. But I was just, I, I watched that ceremony that they were doing, and it just, basically it shames him is what it does, and Okay. Verse 3. Just moving on, huh? Moving yeah, on. Moving on. 
Then Satan entered Judas called Iscariot, one of the twelve. I think that opens up a whole lot of questions there too, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And Judas went to the chief priests and officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. And that is uh, from the NIV, which is, of course, the Bible that Jesus wrote. Um, <laughs> it, it obviously, hey, NIV hey. only in its own Okay, per, per, perhaps that's from the Gospel of Kevin. But anyway, uh, okay, so Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot. Uh, if, if, are you responsible for your actions if you are under demonic influence? It, it, it seems that it seems that you are. Yeah, like you might admit. You can't say the devil made me do so it. So you can't you can't be Fred Sanford. You can't no. say the devil made me do it. So I get I get it, off. It'd be like if I um, went to Dad's ear as a tape when uh, somebody involved drinking. You're you're not responsible for your actions. Let me let me cast the demon of resistance out of you. I've, I've heard that. Well, from my previous pastor, I've heard that kind of thing before. Yeah. Uh, right. I, I, we can't blame our actions on uh, supernatural entities. I don't. I don't think that we can be so influenced that they could take over our will. Hmm. That, that's again gospel of Kevin, what based upon that? this. But, uh, you know, I think, I think Satan can whisper in our ear, but we make our decisions. And I'm baiting Clayton with everything I've got with that. And he's just sitting there. Well, <laughs> well but I mean, okay, even if you take to the person of demon possession, they were living a life that allows the, the, the demonic to come in. So there is a willingness in that. Okay, fair. I, I, I don't see a demon coming into a person that's not wanting the demon to come in. I, okay. I, I think there's extremism. It's, it's what C.S. Lewis said. There's two extremes. It says the people who don't believe in the devil and demons and doesn't give it any credit. And then there's the other extreme that gives all the credit to the devil and demons and saying, you know, it's all them. Right. And I, I think there's a happy balance in between. There's, 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 a, there's, a, there's a definitely a free will here. Judas definitely probably lived a life that allowed the devil to come in and have influence where the devil kind of it's kind of a symbol. Here, it's the same thing with a spirit-filled life. The Holy Spirit's not going to make you do anything you don't want to do. True. And and I didn't write down all the verses, but in John, it, it, there are lots of references to Judas, and uh, Judas was actively stealing from the the bin, the the, mm -hmm. the, the, the till. He was the treasurer mm -hmm. and was not a good treasurer. He was embezzling. <laughs> he was stopping at McDonald's. <laughs> just, no, he was stopping at Chick-fil-A. Just, just as the Holy Spirit, if the devil enters a person, the person's going to do something that they're willing and open to do anyway. The devil's giving them more power to do it. Yeah. I, I, almost the same thing as the Holy Spirit. The devil didn't make me do anything. I, the devil helped me do something I want to do anyway. Yeah. It's been, I, just, this, I think too many people... It's an easy cop-out. And, and I know yes, we joke about to say the devil made me do it, but there are people who live their spiritual life like that. Yeah. Not my same thing, the generational curse thing. Oh, not yes. my, it's not my fault, it's my granddad's fault. Yeah. 
And that's lazy Christianity. We could really talk about I, that gentleman who first from that Bible. I can throw another wrinkle into this. Hit me. I'm hearing what he's saying, but what if you've seen cases where a curse was put on the believer? A curse was spoken and put on a believer. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Huh? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm protected by the lady. Let it because I knew a missionary. Because he's from Africa, and I think it's different. Who, ser oh, who, yes. served, who served many years in Liberia, mm -hmm. and he offended the local witch doctor. Ooh. And the witch doctor put a physical, verbal curse on him, mm -hmm. and he lost his faculties for a season of about six years. And I know this. I mean, I know these people. And he was hospitalized and everything. And then, you know, somebody who carried anoint a real anointing to break off spirits and have discernment into which spirit was operating mm -hmm. came and saw him, sp spoke over him, and the curse was broken, and he came back into sound mind after six years. This was a practicing missionary. Mm -hmm. A.G. Assembly mm -hmm. of God. He was serving in Farica, Liberia. So I know them personally. So there's a different wrinkle you can put yeah, into I that. I don't, I don't <coughs> know how to comment on that. Yeah. I, I, I honestly, I kind and, of agree and, with Clayton, but I don't know where to put Christian that. be demon possessed. Yeah, and, and, I don't think so. And in our, I say our, it's not mine, but yeah. in our culture, there, like we deal with demons, eight out of ten services. Hmm. Eight out of every ten services, you're going to be dealing with straight satanic and having to deal with that, break that. So you have then the revelation of what the Spirit has been doing in the service. Sure. Intervene. And, and I will uh, say this as a side note in the Hebrew, the term curse in the Hebrew is not like, uh, kind of like a like a spell or anything it's just more like removing protection and all that which is unlike you know the word bless it's like protection from god at least that's the last time i checked about how the word curse in the hebrew is used hmm. is there a difference between being cursed and being possessed just a, a, a thought of a thought of mine can the devil influence you can the devil influence a person to be depressed or or whatever that might be I think so yes but they're not possessed of the devil well in Job yeah there you go perfect example because we gotta, we gotta define things as what curse to possess is because some people interchange those terms so radically to where if there's a lot of people in our church today if Job was in our church and what was happening to Job they would say Job was but he was not. He was attacked by Satan. Yeah. Attacked by demonic forces, which is completely different than what we're talking about here. A Christian, can a Christian be attacked by demonic forces? Definitely. And actually, can our life be can our life be taken over? As a Christian, I have a problem with that. Because then that's
we're changing theology there. Yeah. That reminds me of the analogy from the Conjuring. And again, I'm not trying to. Kind of like uh, they use an illustration between demonic oppression versus possession and all that. I think that might help the illustration, I guess, that that is trying to get at. (coughs) That you could be like, I don't know, give you a hard time, the demons could give you a hard time. That's one thing, but anyway, I hope you get the point. No, you're making a good point. I mean, trust me, this week I had a kidney stone. (laughs) That was a demonic (laughs) attack. The three days in the hospital was a demonic attack for me. Were you in three days in the hospital? Yes. I had a UTI too. UTI. Money it is oppression because I've been about that right. <laughs> this week too. That's weird. Now two days I felt great. But uh, but it was but I mean but I mean just you know, because here we're going with once again, how much control does a demon have? Depends on the person. Like you said too, and the Pentecostal Church of God, they deal a lot with Indian missions. I don't know if you're familiar with that, of the you know the actual American Indians and stuff. And you go into those, because uh, I went into one in Carnegie, Oklahoma, and I didn't realize how much to this to that day the hatred between the red man as they still call him and the white man still was. But you and they had their witch doctors too. There's a, just a lot more, I, I guess there's a lot more demonism in some areas of the country than others. I know this this is nothing compared to what you're talking about, Brother Peterson, but when we went to Hawaii, I was amazed oh. at all of these offerings to yeah. different gods. I'm talking things that you can't explain with your mind, even when you see it with your eye. And those people get a revelation of the word, and they became dynamic people of faith because they see the power of God's word that superseded the power they used to operate in. And uh, that that's what got me called the missions, really, you know by seeing those things with my own eyes. Hmm. So, well, I don't mean to breed in something we're not supposed to. Not, not at all. This is, this is an open floor, brother. Stay on your, your class. Not so. at all. Um, so a very influenced Judas Iscariot goes to the chief priests and offers to betray Christ. 
they offer to pay him and they work out a time when they can grab Christ where there's no crowd. They don't want his followers around when they arrest him because they don't want to incite a rebellion on his side. They know that he's been preaching for a week in, in the temple. They haven't touched him because there have been hundreds of people around listening every word he said. And he's been, there's been a very popular revival going on, and they're not happy with it, yeah. is basically what's been happening. So they, they need to do this privately. I also think it's interesting that he says he, he's going to betray Jesus. And I'm, I, I feel like I might be reading too much into this. But that sounds like he is offering to offer some kind of testimony against Christ when he's arrested because they need a witness saying that he did this thing that is sacrilegious and they can use that to bring charges against him. But they never, you know, later on, they have a hard time making their case. And, and so they didn't have that big smoking gun, so to speak. But so what Judas has agreed to do is send a message when it's a good time to grab Christ. He seems to be the, the, the bag man for or when this is when to arrest him, and that's all his real function seems to be. Well, here's the weird thing too: when they when they did come time to arrest him, they knew who Jesus was, but he said, "The man that I kiss and greet with a kiss is the man you want." Well, that's because the the, the 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 guards didn't know who he was, which okay. is interesting because he's there with temple guards. Yeah, that's what I yeah that's what I yeah, thought so. was strange. Uh, so he's there to point him out. I, I think I, I th that's true. He's been preaching for a week. They should know what he looks like, huh? Yeah. Dark at night, too, though. Fair enough. But they had torches and hundreds of this. Well, they, they it's, it's chaos there, though. Yeah. It's hard. This makes more sense. So, so Judas agrees and to, to betray him. And then it goes on to verse 7. Uh, then came the day of unleavened bread in which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He answered, he replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house uh, that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher says, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles... Well, okay, let's just stop there. Uh, was that a miracle? It was divine. Sure. It was divine direction. Sure. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that uh, Jesus had already talked to uh, one of his disciples and said, uh, <laughs> you got a house, right? And, and he obviously, you, you can come over to my house. We'll, we'll, go, we'll, we'll tell you what, I'm going to send a couple guys over in a couple days and uh, let's work all that out. Because I think, I think, I think, you know, I think it doesn't have to be a miracle. I mean, he's just telling them to go take care of business, and he sent them for that donkey when he during the triumphal entry into the. Yeah, I'm not sure that that wasn't a prearranged deal. There, there wasn't anything that really uh, implies that uh, you know he knew something they didn't, except for one thing in this verse. What's that? He's carrying a bottle of water. A pitcher. <laughs> 
How would, how would he know that? It's called God using people, speaking in people's hearts and people yielding to God. It could be that this guy carrying the pitcher of water didn't know that he was going to be entertaining the disciples and extreme doing miracle his, of the Holy Spirit making his regular sound. thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or Christ made this arrangement already but knew that he would be carrying a pitcher of water and sent him in. You know, I don't know. There's some combination of that in there somewhere. Maybe it was just a miracle. I think you can interpret it any way you want to and Judy would very much prefer this to be a miracle so I think we should uh, call it that. And by the way, you pronounce water one. It's water. Thank you. Okay, I appreciate that. Very Texan of you. Okay, so... They go in to prepare the Passover. And if you were here during uh, the the, the Messianic Jewish presentation uh, of the Passover, there is a lot to this. It's not just a lamb. It's a specific lamb that has to be acquired. There are specific herbs that have to be required. They have to be prepared in a certain way. It's not like you can go throw this together. Uh, This is several hours of specific work. And there is a whole shopping cart full of materials that are required to do this correctly. And I presume to believe that they were doing this correctly. Uh, I heard you take a deep breath, Judy. Did you have something to say? I was just thinking that it wasn't... It's not about the taste. It's about the symbolism. Okay, just, just mentioning. That's true. Don't dare you. I bet they're delicious. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, no. Horseradish that, is not tasty. That Thank you. bread is really not It's cracker. It's, it, it's, it's bell cracker. Really needed salt. Needs salt. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah needed salt. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so they prepare the Passover. Verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gives thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. That's the NIV interpretation. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, and woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. And, and just quickly, I'm going to go back. This is my Bible, my Bible not yeah, me. Yeah. It says that ordinarily women, not men, would go to the well and bring home the water. So this man with the jar of water would have stood out oh, in the crowd. Oh, from before, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to add that when we're talking, was it a miracle or not? Because he was busy doing women's work? He was busy doing women's right. work, which was really strange. Okay. Then, then, then you guys work. can <laughs> <laughs> No, no. 
I promise. I'll speak yeah. for Faye. I'll speak for Faye since she's not here. Anytime a man's doing work at all, as I stands out in the crowd. Thank you, Faye. <laughs> Thank you, Faye. <laughs> she's listening. Chad, she's he has you covered. She has you covered. Okay. <laughs> Most of the Jewish women and most women over there are basically treated like slaves. They were a couple of notches above a slave, you know. And then probably back to where we were. I thought that was important though when I read that. Yeah. And then we go on to where we Well, first of all, at verse 16, Christ basically says, This is the last food I'm gonna eat on earth. Well, yeah, because that's what they did. The, the table is low and on the floor, and the, the, the tradition is that you you lay down on your side as you eat. They don't. They didn't do chairs in the Middle East. They were just kind of laying down. Eating. Yeah, it was sort of a chairs are sort of a Western invention. The picture of the Last Supper is completely fraud. Really, it's yeah. not. That's a, that's a European. Yeah. And they all sat on one side of the table. What was that about? <laughs> well, it's like a television show. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have it back to the picture. You have to uh, uh, hey, Dad, can we want to eat while we're playing or something? No. No. <laughs> no. It's, it's, yeah, anyway. Uh, so, yeah, they're re, they're, he's basically just, he's prepared for dinner. So he's reclined at the table. That means he's, he, they're there having the, 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 the supper. And he says that this is the last food he's going to eat before the kingdom, of, the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. So things are about to start taking place so rapidly. So he's going to be arrested, tried, and executed before his next meal. So, I mean, they, it was quick. So they moved fast. So basically, uh, it's like the, uh, what is the term called? Like death row inmates have their final last supper. Last, yeah, 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 their last, 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 last meal. Their last meal before they go off yeah. and die. Yeah. So he, he takes the cup and then he establishes the, 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 the Lord's Supper in our tradition because he's basically supplanting himself as the sacrificial lamb at this supper. He is saying, uh, this is bread and this is bread of my body, you know, and so instead of eating the sacrificial lamb, he's the sacrificial lamb and he gives them this bread as a substitute for it. He's taking the place of the lamb. And then he does the same thing with the, uh, with the wine and because he's taking the blood of the lamb. Uh, and there's all kinds of different... There's actually a very minor Greek god where there's a similar tradition. And I've heard people in my classics class try to make the argument that this is stolen from Greek mythology. Oh boy. Yeah, I know. Oh, whatever. I did, I did, I did. Who said that? Uh, it's been a long time. Yeah. I don't think it I don't think it's a broadly held idea. Yeah, it was from high school students. And plus it's oh, No, no. This these were these were UT classic mythology people. I had to take this course. It was a, Oh, I thought it was your class. No, no. Yeah. No, 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 no. Okay, gotcha. This might be a good time for you to insert your experience with your uh, hillbilly tea or whatever it was. What? Your hillbilly whiskey that you had for the cup in the Oh. You think that's significant to this story? I think we're chasing a rabbit. Hillbilly tea. 
Okay, I was I okay. I was raised a Southern Baptist. Uh, God forgive you. Uh, <laughs> I have great respect for the Southern Baptists. Southern Baptists uh, uh, don't uh, uh, take part in the Lord's Supper until they've made a profession of faith. And I made my profession of faith when I was 13. And uh, I had only taken part in one or two Lord's Suppers at this point. It was right after I was saved. And I was visiting my grandmother in uh, Laneville, Texas, which is way out in the woods, and they were part of a missionary Baptist organization because Baptists come in 26 different flavors. <laughs> and they're all very similar. Uh, they're, they're one or two weirdos, but still, they're all basically the same thing. They just can't get along. That's just the way it is. And so uh, I was in a missionary Baptist church, and uh, they had the Lord's Supper, and when they handed out the, the cup for uh, the, the, uh, the wine, it was, a, it was a dark brown liquid. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I took the, the, the and, so, and it kind of hit me and burned the back of my throat. And I discovered that it wasn't the grape juice that the Southern Baptists use. <laughs> Uh, this particular church, uh, church used something that they called the recipe. I think they stole the line from the Waltons because the Waltons was on TV at the time. It wasn't, they didn't even buy the alcohol. Somebody brewed the alcohol at home. And they had been doing yes, and they had been doing this for years, and and, and and frankly, it was pretty appropriate, you know. But uh, as as a thirteen year old taking his first shot of alcohol, this was this was kind of a surprise. Oh, that was my first trip on an AIM trip in England at Assembly God Church. I had my first taste of real wine at communion. Oh well, then. Well, good. It wasn't the grape juice. It was. Oh, yeah, oh, they, really? they pulled out the good stuff. All these American kids for the first time, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Except for the deacon's kid who went, I had this before. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know the old Baptist saw. Baptists all drink, just not in front of each other. Right. Yeah, okay. that, yeah that's the deal. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I don't think I've said anything they don't know. All right, where, where were we now that we've chased that rabbit? Okay. Whoever's at the table with him is going to be 24, there. verse 24. Okay, so sacraments and Okay. So as a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. That happened right after they took communion. Mm -hmm. Jesus said to them. The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. 
Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. I'm sorry, I'm pretty sure that God said it this way. No, I know, but you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. She called you out. I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> not sure how to respond to that. Uh, uh, I didn't mean it the way you took it. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Stop there for a second. And he did actually sift him because he made. He yeah, we're, we're, we're gonna get we're gonna get to for Peter. Uh, uh, they're still fighting over who's gonna be the big shot when the big revolution comes. Yes. When you get a bunch of preachers together, uh -huh. uh oh, or a bunch of teenagers, uh -huh. uh, they they start figuring out who the big biggest and best is and who has the biggest congregation. <laughs> They start bragging about the big revival they well, just had. The yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Peter wound up being the head of it all. Well, no, actually, James did. Um, repeatedly throughout this book, Christ has had to come back and say, "We're we're not about to go kill all the Romans, guys." You know, I mean, he, he he's been pretty plain. This is not the kingdom we're talking about here, you know. And they still are following him around, waiting on the big revolution where we overthrow the Romans. And in this case, I guess we're going to overthrow the temple too. And then the great elite of the Messiah and Son of Man were going to run the entire world. And Peter's going to get to be governor of Assyria. That's that's basically the plan, you know. And and they're they're fussing about who's going, how they're going to divvy up the world when it's over. And, and, and it comes up again and again and again. And here we are at the very end after Christ has spent all this time up around Galilee trying to get him caught up and ready to go. And we are on the last two days of his ministry and they're still jockeying for position. Yep. Don't think they get it yet. It's always a battle between flesh and spirit. <clears throat> I don't think they got it until he was actually hanging on the cross. I, I, I don't either. Well, if you look in Acts chapter 1, they ask, is this when you're going to establish the kingdom? Yeah. And he tells them about the wings of wind and the spirit. You know, even even if before the ascension, they're still talking about it. Yeah. Is this it? You know. My, my what Bible note says: What are your major concerns today? Twenty years from now, as you look back, will these worries look petty and inappropriate? Get your eyes off yourself and get ready for Christ's coming into human history for the second time. We're still we're still sitting at that table and we're still arguing about who's who's king, who's who's coming next, who's going to be in charge next. When the when the reality of it is is Jesus is coming next. Let's get ready for him. And I think it's interesting in twenty four it says a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. We're not mentioning specific people, saith Luke. But then up here after Christ chastises them. He goes straight into picking on Peter. Mm. And I'm thinking, now remember that Peter is the oldest of the apostles, and we assume. And he's always the one that's doing all the talking, and that's largely why we think he's the oldest, because there is a, uh, uh, an age pecking order in groups among the Middle Eastern he the people. It, he, he, is. he is. He is the voice of the apostles. Mm -hmm. And I think often when, when, when Peter seems kind of dumb. I don't know that it's Peter 
I don't know if that's his personal opinion. He's voicing the opinion of, uh, you know, disciple number nine in the back who's going, ask him about so-and-so. Yeah, he gets because he's the one that gets to do all the talking, and and I think he's comfortable in that. And I think you know they they, they were discussing this, and Christ chastises them, and then he jumps right in the middle of Peter. So Simon, Simon, Simon is asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And so he kind of takes offense at that, and he says, "But Lord." Uh, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. I'm not sure that he was not sincere in that moment. I think his intentions were good. I think his perseverance. Well, isn't there, could they, can I go back a little bit to what we discussed in Lent? Isn't this a difference between Peter and, and, and Judas? Satan also asked to sift Judas like we did. His, his faith wasn't strong and he, he allowed him in. Okay. I mean, don't let sure. us look at that. I mean, there, there, there is a difference. Peter and Judas are on the... I mean, although Peter did fail here, you know, with denying mm -hmm. Christ and such, but, but he stuck to it, and he he ended up, you know, staying with Christ. It's, uh, Peter and Judas are good uh, contrasting stories here. One who was allowed to be sifted. But here's, and but here's the difference. So it says, Jesus says, but I have prayed for you. I, and who's to say that Christ didn't pray for Judas, but Judas... It's still free will. Yeah, it's still free will. Christ prays for all of us. He's at the right hand of the Father, interceding for all of us. But we still have free will. But he replied, "Lord, I'm ready to go to you to prison and to death." And Jesus answered, "I tell you, Peter." Suddenly, he's Peter and not Simon anymore. Before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked him, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said nothing together. And then he said to them, and now if you have a purse, take it and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, see, Lord, here are two swords. Oh, wait, they, they already had two right, right there. That is enough, he replied. Isn't that interesting? That doesn't work into the passion play when you see it, you know, <laughs> perform. So, first of all, he tells them, arm yourselves. You're, you're going to see some, some, some bad times. It's... it's you know, be, 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 be wise and be prepared. And then they say, oh, wait, two of us are already packing. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, one of them was an assassin originally. You know, I'm thinking he, he, he kept his knife strapped to his side. Like all good Texans should. Uh, and then Peter is the one that chops off the, the soldier's ear a little bit later, which makes me think Peter was the one that had the second sword, but I'm not quite sure where the first one was. Uh, I think that, what does he mean he'll be numbered with transgressors? 
I honestly don't have an answer with, with what that means. Because he's taken on the sins of the world. But what does that have to do with swords? But now if you have a purse, take it and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Is a transgressor a guy with a sword? I mean... Or was he just speaking of like uh, he was hung with two thieves? That's what I Okay, that's how you interpret that? That's where I agree with that. Okay, okay. So it's not connected to the sword. I agree with him. It's kind of like his humility. He was humiliated. Can I go back to the sword thing? Yeah. What's interesting, buy a sword because it prepares the time of coming. But in Matthew's gospel... He tells him, Peter, put it away. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. Yeah. It sounds very conflicting, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> he says, go buy a sword, get ready. But then if Peter does the thing with the sword, he says, hey, what are you doing? Those who live by the sword die by the sword. That, I'm just saying. That's when he was a Baptist. Hey! I don't have an answer. But doesn't that, doesn't that come out like conflicting messages in a way? Yeah. It does. I, I just I just threw that out. I just I don't have a point. I just find it <laughs> interesting because in the one it's like encouraging to get one, but in the other gospel he's like, put it away, Peter. Those who live by that are gonna die by that. And, and that's not the answer. And it's it's sometimes scriptures confuse us. Which means he said both, because it's all inspired by God. <laughs> not necessarily at the same time. Right, right. I'm or right. in the same instance. Just, or there there's a nuance there that we're not getting. Not an easy answer. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go down. I'm going to read down to verse 46, and we're going to stop there because we barely have enough time for this. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and he does this every day. I don't know why he needed Judas to go point to him. I think any priest could watch Jesus for five minutes and figure out where he's going to be. Okay, I'm sorry, that's just me. Uh, he went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Okay, regardless of all of the implications of this verse, who told Luke this? Jesus goes by himself into the garden. He is separated from the rest of the disciples. The disciples fall asleep. An angel appears to Jesus and Jesus alone. And Luke knows about it. Either inspiration by the Holy Spirit or Jesus during the 40 days that after his resurrection he's telling what happened that hey that night this is what happened. I like that one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Christ is
praying in the garden to the Father who he is. He's talking to himself? I just, Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit are the same person. It seems strange that he's talking to himself. I'm trying to understand the human mind. Yeah, okay. I can't understand that. I'm not capable of, 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 really, okay. Where did the hints wind? Trying not to be insulted by that, but okay. We're all that way. You're not beneath us. You're us. We can't understand it. We're not supposed to. We're human. So he's praying intensely and so intense that he's sweating blood, which is an actual, literal, physical condition under extreme stress, uh, which happens rarely, but has been recorded on multiple occasions. People actually sweated blood? Yes. I don't know all the physiology. And so, uh, and then he gets up and all of his disciples are asleep and he chastises them and tells them not to fall into temptation. And there we are. Um, I don't have a big final thought. All right, we're out of time. Uh, We're stopping at verse 46. We're going to pick it up with Jesus' arrest. And we will uh, maybe get through Luke 22 next week. Bye, Kenny. Bye, Kenny. Study hard. See you next week. Bye.